to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we continue our series on the life of Jesus. And we're the story of Jesus. And we're studying that from the Gospel of Luke. We've been working our way through that now for about a year. And it's going to take us a while to finish because we take some breaks along the way. But I just want to jump right into the title of my message today is, What Are You Looking For? What are you looking for? Now, when I asked that question, what went through your mind? If I were to walk up to you and ask that question, What are you looking for? What goes through your mind? As I was thinking about that, because I often ask a question at the beginning of a message to kind of get us thinking along the lines of what God wants us to think about, I thought, that's kind of a vague question. I mean, what are you looking for? It all depends on the context, right? I mean, if I were in your home and you're kind of scrambling around looking under this thing and and, and opening cabinets, and I'd say, what are you looking for? The context is I know that there's something you need or you're trying to find and you can't or you haven't yet. And so you're looking for a specific item. If you were to come to me and say, hey, pastor, I want to talk to you about something. And so we meet together and you say, I, I just there's just something in my heart. I just don't feel settled. I don't feel satisfied. I don't. And I ask, what are you looking for? We'd be talking about, well, what is it that you feel like you're missing? You know, what is it that you feel like is wrong? What is it that that you're reaching out for? Uh, so those are two totally different things. And there's so many other scenarios in context in which we could ask the question, what are you looking for? And the answer would be totally different. It, it could be something lost. It could be something that you want. It could be something that you need. It could be something that you expect, which is kind of the direction we're going today. You're expecting something, but it's not there yet. Or you're expecting something, so you go looking for it. And so what are you looking for? It's this thing that I'm expecting. Well, the reason I titled the message this today is because this is a modified form of a question Jesus asked three times in the first couple verses of our text today, of the people that are there listening to him teach and preach and doing all that he does. He asked them this question, a little bit different, but that same intent. What are you looking for? And I believe that as we look at this story and what happened then, it can give us some insight on what we're looking for and what we should be looking for and what we should do once we find it. I hope that's whet your appetite, but let's jump into here. Uh, into this story. We're going to be reading it in just a moment, but the background to where we are in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be starting in verse 24. Jesus is going to be talking about John the Baptist, and probably most all of you, if not all of you, have heard that name before. But all of us are at different levels of knowing and understanding who the John the Baptist, who John the Baptist is. We know he showed up about the time of Jesus. Uh, you know, we made us some facts about him. But just to summarize who he is, what he came to do, And what happened, this is the situation. John the Baptist was related to Jesus in some way, perhaps a cousin, something like that. That's not the significant point. The significant point is that just as God prepared for Jesus to come and sent an angel to tell Mary, God also had prepared for John the Baptist to come first and sent an angel to tell his father about him coming. 
Because God had prepared and arranged for John the Baptist to come for a specific purpose. He had been prophesied about. And God had called him to be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. To prepare the way for the one that God's going to send to take care of the problems of the world. To prepare the way for the one that all his people are looking for. So John was born and raised with that awareness to, uh, at some point. And so right before Jesus shows up on the scene, we don't know how God did it, but he let John know now's the time. So John began to go out. He began to preach and proclaim the kingdom of God is near. What we've been waiting for is on its way. God's getting ready, as I like to put it, God's getting ready to break into history in a very special way. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. Nobody knows that yet. He says, but if we want to be able to participate in that and, and do it to the fullest, we need to be ready, which means we need to repent. We need to deal with the sin in our lives. And that was his message. And, 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 and so anyway, he's preaching this. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming. God's sending this one. We need to repent. And he says, we need to show the sign of our repentance through baptism. That's why it's called John the Baptist. He would baptize people. When people repented of their sins, he baptized them as a symbolic representation that their sins had been washed away. And he preached quite strongly about sin. In fact, one of the things he said was that their king, King Herod, was living in terrible sin because he had divorced his wife so that he could marry his sister-in-law who he'd had an affair with on a trip to Rome. And because of that, John was thrown in prison. And he's in prison, and the last time I spoke, two weeks ago, we looked at John in prison, and being in prison, here is a man who has tried his best to do exactly what God called him to do. He didn't back down, he said it all, he put it all out there, and he's arrested and he's facing execution. And we see he's starting to wrestle with a little bit of doubt. And if you missed that message, you can go back and watch it or listen to it online. But basically, his doubt seems to be centered around the idea of, you know, I did what I was supposed to. Why am I in jail? You know, uh, that could possibly be one of the reasons. Another one is that he knew that Jesus was the one. He had actually pointed him out when, you know, when John was baptizing people, Jesus said, baptize me. And and John says, I don't need to baptize you. You don't need baptism. You don't need to repent. You need to baptize me. And and Jesus says, no, this is the right thing to do. And so when Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him for ministry. And, And John says, this is the guy. But John, just like the people of Jesus' day, had certain expectations of what Jesus would do, of what the Messiah was going to accomplish. But Jesus went about things different than their expectations. And so John's like, well, God said he was the one, and I thought he was the one, but he's not doing exactly what I thought he would. So he's wrestling with some doubts. So he sends some of his followers, because he's in jail, to ask Jesus, are, are you the one? I thought you were the one. You know, I said you were the one. Are you really the one, or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus' answer is not to say anything at first. It's just to continue to minister people. He heals the blind. He heals the deaf. He preaches the good news. And when he's all done, he tells John's disciples, go back and tell John, this is what you saw. The blind were healed. They see. The deaf were healed. They hear. The lame are walking. The good news has been preached. 
to the common people. And all those things were things that primarily Isaiah had prophesied the Messiah would do. So basically his answer was not just to say, yeah, I'm the one. It's to prove that he was the one. And so the disciples went back to John to report that. And that's where we pick up our story today. We're going to work our way through the story section by section, explain what it means and what was happening there. And then as we get closer to the end, we'll look a little bit more closely at how does this apply to me? All right, so let's jump into the story. Luke chapter 7, and we're starting in um, verse 24. Verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Okay, there's, there's where that phrase came from. I told you I called the message, what are you looking for? He's saying, what were you looking for? Why did you go out there? What were you expecting? What were you looking for? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? Third time, he asked it. A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I'll tell you, in our passage today, there's a number of statements. It's like you got to kind of dig into it to see exactly what he's talking about. So he's talking about John and who he is. Now, I happen to believe, and a lot of other Bible scholars believe, that one of the reasons Jesus immediately starts talking about John after his disciples have been with him is in case any of the people are wondering about John. Was he really on the right track? I mean, he was preaching and teaching, and we responded, or some responded, some didn't. But now he's in jail. He may be executed. And if they perhaps heard the question that his followers had brought to Jesus, are you really the one, that there might have been some people saying, well, was John really who we thought he was? And and I think whether it's, I don't think it's Jesus's main purpose here, but I think it's one of his other purposes is to, to, to tell the people, listen, John's on track. John's the right guy. You did the right thing to to go check him out, you know, and to respond to his message. All right. But that's what he's uh, what he's doing here. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What were you looking for? Now, I want you to understand something here. Some of you may already know this, but when John the Baptist showed up preaching about the kingdom of God and calling people to repent and then baptizing them in the river, he didn't go to the local synagogue church in today's uh, perspective. He didn't go to the temple courts where he could teach. Lots of people taught in the temple courts. He was out in the wilderness. People went out into the wilderness. I mean, we're not talking about they took a little drive for a picnic to go hear this guy that's out. We're talking you're going out into the desert, spending a good portion probably of a whole day, or if you came from other parts of the country, several days to get to a place where it is hot and dusty and it's very uncomfortable. But they came in droves. 
We don't know how all the word got out at the beginning, but word is going everywhere. There's this guy out in the desert, and he's kind of a crazy guy. I mean, he's got, he hasn't cut his hair because he's dedicated to God. That was one of the signs of being, and you know, he's living in the desert. He may have been all kind of dirty and mad and stuff. And you know, he's, he's dressed in these really weird clothes. You can read the description. And you know, I've heard about what he eats. He eats locusts and honey. I mean, this is a strange guy, but he's got this powerful message. And what's interesting is these crowds were gathered together and it wasn't because he was doing great miracles like Jesus did later. It wasn't because he was healing people. We don't have any recorded miracles that John did. All he did was proclaim God's message. But God's anointing was so powerful on him. And the message he gave, God's kingdom is near. God's getting ready to break in and start things, to put things right. It's what they'd been waiting for for a long time. Many people were willing to cancel their activities for a day or two or three if they had to travel real far, to go out into the hot, dusty desert where the temperature is so high and you're going to get nasty and such, and to see this man. And so John says, I mean, Jesus says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What were you expecting? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? What did Jesus mean by that? And and we don't know for sure because Jesus doesn't explain himself. There's two main ideas of what he might have been meaning by that. Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Well, you can see a reed anywhere. Anywhere where there's water, there's reeds. Did you go out to see something that's commonplace? Did you go out to see something you could see in your own backyard or down the street or whatever? No. The, the assumed answer is no. Some say that perhaps Jesus was getting a little bit deeper and what he was saying, you know, a reed shaken by the wind is a very flimsy plant. It's not like an oak tree or something like that. You know, I mean, it just goes in the wind. It's easily cut down. It's easily influenced. Maybe he was saying, did you go to see someone who kind of just goes wherever the wind goes? You know, easily swayed, easily influenced by people's opinion. That was not John the Baptist. People knew that. And the assumed answer is no. You don't get, didn't go to see a guy like that. And then he goes on to the second question. He's, did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? And again, what exactly did he mean by that? Well, for those that have been to see John, obviously he was not a man dressed in soft clothing, dressed for success, looking all prim and proper and spiffy in his best clothes. No, John looked strange. John wore weird clothes. He ate weird, can you call it food? How many of you had locusts and honey sometime in the last month? Maybe honey, right? <laughs> no locusts. You know, did they, did they go see this refined guy? No, obviously not. He says, did you go to see a prophet? Now that was the right answer. A prophet, someone who speaks for God, a messenger for God. And that would have been if the people, I don't know if people shouted amen and said yes or whatever, you know, when Jesus is talking. But if they would have, they said, yeah, that's, that's it. We went to see a prophet. Now I'm sure there were plenty of people that had heard the story and say, that's a long way to go, and it's not a fun uh, trip, but this is just too weird to believe. I've got to take the time to go see it. But most of the people that went had heard that God was speaking through this man. He's a prophet. And so when Jesus said, what did you go out to see? Why did you go? What were you expecting? What were you looking for? A prophet? Someone who speaks for God? The assumed answer is yes, because that's the right answer. But then he goes on to say, you know what? You're right. Paraphrasing a little bit here. He says, but he's more than a prophet. 
What he's kind of saying here is he's not only a prophet of which God's people had a number of them and some very powerful, famous prophets and some that are not so famous, but still just as powerful preaching God's word. He says, this is the one that God prophesied about. And what Jesus quotes there is Malachi, the last prophet who said, one's going to come and prepare the way. He says, this is the one that we've been waiting for who's going to point to the one we've been waiting for. So what he's basically saying here is that John was more than a prophet. In fact, of all the men that have been born of women, there's none greater than John. That doesn't mean that John was more important to God than anybody else in history. doesn't mean that he was more significant in God's plan or, or that he was a better person. It just basically meant that when you look at all the prophets that God used, John's at the top of the list because he's the one that God sent and prepared to prepare the way for Jesus. But then he says something that's like, what does that mean? He says here, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, is greater than John. I mean, he just got done saying that John was the greatest representative of God in history up to that point. But once the kingdom of God is established, the least person in the kingdom of God has it better off than John. What does he mean? What he means is that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. And the first problem, the first thing that had to be taken care of was the sin problem. And that's why a lot of people missed Jesus and the religious leaders didn't accept Jesus because the people were expecting this conquering warrior king who was going to kick out the Romans and set their people free, reestablish God's kingdom, and uh, either himself or someone else who was of the line of David would take the throne. He was going to bring about all the things that are righteous and deal with unrighteousness and God's kingdom was going to rule and reign in a physical way and we're all going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and prosperous and God's kingdom is going to spread all over the world. That's what they were expecting. And Jesus is going to do that someday. But the prophets had also talked about how this one that come was going to have to take care of the sin problem and that he was going to suffer. And there's hints that he was going to die. But the people didn't focus on that. Nobody wants a suffering Messiah. They want a victorious Messiah. But Jesus came to do that, and the end was the cross, as we celebrated taking communion today. And God's kingdom was established, and it made it possible for us to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, based upon what he did on the cross, paying the price for our sins, and now we are in the kingdom of heaven. Here on earth now, but eternally into the future. And what Jesus is basically saying is as wonderful uh, as John was and as important as he was in fulfilling God's plan, the people who actually experience the fulfillment of that have much greater benefits than anybody that's ever lived up to this point. I don't know about you, but sometimes I hear about people say, oh boy, I would have loved to have lived in the days of Moses and all the things that happened in Egypt and all that. I would have loved to have known Abraham or I would have, you know, any other favorite, you know, character out of the Bible in the Old Testament, you know, Daniel or David or one of the others. And, and I've heard people say, you know, or, and say, I wish I could hear from God like they heard from God because they actually heard God's voice. But what Jesus is saying here is we have it so much better than anybody back before Jesus. And I think, I'm taking a little extra time here because I think sometimes we take that for granted. The privileges that we have as believers and followers of Jesus Christ so far exceed 
the greatest things that anybody before Jesus ever experienced. And we don't need to take that for granted. They just looked forward to what was coming. We get to participate in it. They just anticipated it, but we're doing it. It'd be sort of like saying, which is better, sitting here in this service this morning, thinking about heaven and how wonderful it's going to be, or being there? Being there. And that's what Jesus is saying. Being in the kingdom, even the the, the least important person, the least significant person, as you might feel, in the kingdom of God, has it so much better in their experience of God than anybody that came before. I could preach a whole message on that, but i got to go a different direction. I just wanted to emphasize that we need to not take for granted. We need to not treat lightly the privilege that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Life is still rough sometimes. But you know, anyway, i got to start preaching that second message, so I don't need to do that. He goes on then, and we see how the people responded. Get down to um, verse 29 and 30. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So after Jesus says all this, there's just kind of this little interruption in the story. And Luke is writing about what happened. Not real sure if he's talking about what happened earlier in response to John's preaching or that day that Jesus says this is both exactly the same. He says that basically in response to what John came and said, that there were people... It says he declared God just. Basically what that means, it says they agreed that what John preached and what he did was sent by God. They recognized this is God. God's speaking through John. And as a result of that, they repented and were baptized. And I love the way he words. He says all the people and the tax collectors too. Some of you know enough about the Bible. You know that, you know, uh, God's people... Uh, were categorized. You know, you had the religious leaders. They were the ultra-holy ones. We're going to mention the Pharisees and the lawyers in a minute. We're not talking about lawyers in a court of law. These were the ones who were the Bible scholars. And the Pharisees were the ultra-righteous, okay? They ended up rejecting John's message. They ended up rejecting Jesus. But they divided people up into categories. There are those people that were really trying to serve God and keep the law. Good. There was the common people. Ah, and then there's sinners. No, God's judgment is going to come on. And then there's tax collectors and prostitutes, which are the worst of sinners. I mean, they were in a category. In fact, tax collectors is in a totally different category even than prostitutes. Okay? They were the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. And they were different than tax collectors today. Just saying. They collaborated with the enemy. They extorted money from people. They were cruel. All that kind of stuff. So what he's saying is that when John came and he did his ministry and he preached the kingdom of God and preached repentance, a lot of people of all the different types of people responded and repented. And even some tax collectors. I mean, he hit the hardest of them. They repented. And they said, God's speaking. God's moving. This is God doing his work through John. But then he talks about, that's a positive response, but then he talks about people that responded negatively. The Pharisees and the lawyers, you know, the, the ones who were the most righteous, the ones who tried the hardest to keep God's law down to the tiniest little speck, who'd made all kinds of extra rules to help them be really holy, and they kept those rules too. 
and the lawyers. Those are the Bible scholars. They're the ones who studied the law. That's why they're called lawyers. They're also called scribes in some translations. It says they rejected what God said through John. And so they were not baptized. And there's a phrase in there that just really strikes in my heart. It's like, God, may I never, even in the smallest little bit, fall in this category. When it says they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. By rejecting John and his message, they had rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Because that's the direction they took when Jesus came on the scene and he began doing what he did and the direction he was going, they also rejected Jesus. They became his greatest opponents. They're the ones that arranged for his death. And except for those who perhaps repented after the crucifixion, as holy as they thought they were, as holy as they were trying to be, as obedient as they were trying to be, as much as they knew the word of God, they missed it. They missed it. Because they would not listen to God's message when it actually came. They weren't willing to recognize that maybe it was going to come in a little different package, in a little bit different form, in a little bit different way than what they had expected. They just rejected it out of hand. They missed God's purpose for themselves. Jesus goes on then in verses 31 to 34 to kind of give a little parable, a little story, a little illustration of what these people's attitude was sort of like. He says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? He's talking about the people that reject it. It's quite obvious from what he says. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he's got a demon. But the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus uses this like mini parable, this mini metaphor to describe the attitude of these people that have rejected John and have rejected and are continuing to reject him. He says they're like little kids sitting in the marketplace. You know, the parents are either selling stuff or buying stuff. You know, all the people, but the kids don't have anything. So they're playing games. And they're saying, let's play. We're at a wedding. So it's a real joyous occasion. Let's play. We're at a funeral. So it's a really mournful occasion. But there's some kids that says, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to be all joyful. I don't want to, you know, you're playing the flute. I don't want to dance. I like we're at a wedding. Oh, you're playing a sad song. I don't want to pretend I'm mourning like I'm at a funeral. Have you ever had kids? That's, that's a bad segue. Kids are grandkids. They say, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. So you tell them something to do. No, I don't want to do that. You tell them something else. Uh, no, I don't want to do that. You give them a whole list of things you want to do. It's for them to do. No, I don't want to do that. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm bored. What can I do? <laughs> We've all experienced that, haven't we? And you know why we experience that, don't you? Because we did that to our parents. Yeah, that's it. You reap what you sow. But that's kind of like what it is, no matter what. Some adults tell them, or maybe other kids say, well, let's do this. There's certain ones that, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you offer, they're not satisfied, they're not happy, they don't want to get with the program. He says, that's what some of the people of this day are like. 
when it has to do with John and Jesus and God interrupting history and establishing the kingdom of God and speaking through John, speaking through Jesus. He says, because, you know, John comes and he's stiff and he's austere and he's, he's holy, he's righteous, he's out, out in the desert, he's, you know, all this kind of stuff. He doesn't, um, eat fancy foods, he doesn't drink wine, and, and these people, man, I think he's got a demon. I mean, he just doesn't act normal. And then you get Jesus that shows up and he's kind of like just the opposite. I mean, he's still holy. He's still righteous. He doesn't do wrong things. But, you know, he doesn't mind eating and, and, and drinking and living like a normal person. He hangs out with anybody and everybody. And he hangs out with the sinners. And so they say, well, he's not from God either. I mean, he's, he's, what do they call him? They say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know, it doesn't matter. One extreme to the other. And the people reject, like the children says, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. The real issue here is that these people didn't agree with God's message, and they didn't agree with God's messenger, so they rejected it. Even though they're totally different, they wouldn't accept one or the other. Now, let me just throw this out as kind of a side issue. This illustrates to us, as far as being a church and trying to do God's work and all that kind of, that there are different ways to do God's work. God sent John, and God obviously sent Jesus. They had the same message, but they went about it different ways, and they were both right. And so that's important for us to understand, you know, especially if you look at other churches, other ministries and stuff. It's like, well, they don't do it like we do or whatever. You know, that doesn't. if they're doing what God called them to do, and it's true to God's word, it may be different than the way God called us to do it, you know, or, or whatever. But as long as they're true to God's word and God's message... The method is not so much important, right? It also points out another thing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but you got people that are looking for the perfect church. They're looking for the perfect pastor. If you're looking for the perfect church and the perfect pastor and you're here today, you have not found it. We're not the perfect church. We're trying hard. We try hard to do what God wants us to do. I, I try hard to do what God wants me to do, but I am not perfect. But there are sometimes people that's like, they'll look for the slightest whatever they can to be critical of, and that gives them the reason to do whatever they're going to do. We just need to buckle down, be family, love God, love people, reach them for Jesus in spite of whatever hindrances we have or whatever. I'm sorry, I just had to put that little sermonette in there. <laughs> anyway, let's not be, not, not, let's not be people that are critical and just always looking for something to disagree with. And I'll be honest, I have to fight that, you know. If I listen to somebody else preach and they make a mistake, you know, oh, they made a mistake, you know, or whatever. That's not exactly right or whatever. But God humbled me about that a long time ago. You may or may not remember, but I preached a whole sermon about a year and a half ago about Mary and Martha, and I kept calling Mary Martha and Martha Mary and got him back. There's even had it wrong on the PowerPoint, and it's like, okay, Lord, you know, anyway. The last verse, Jesus ends with kind of a proverb, verse 35. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What does that mean? Wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is something that all people valued. Wisdom means that you do the right thing, you believe the right thing, you live the right way, and you experience all the blessings that come from that. And it says, wisdom is justified by all her children. Who are wisdom's children? They're the people that follow wisdom. So what Jesus is trying to say, that as people followed and responded positively to John the Baptist's message and repented and were baptized, and now because that are listening to Jesus and responding to his messages, he says, over time you're going to see that they were right. 
because of the effect it's going to have on their lives. And how have we seen that through the history of the church over 2,000 years? Yes, there's people that have gotten it wrong. Yes, there's people that have done and said things horribly in the name of the church and of God, but they were wrong because they weren't doing it according to God's word. But wherever people have chosen to follow God and his message preached, proclaimed, and taught by God's people who are doing the best they can to make it clear and plain, and they've lived their lives according to that, that's wisdom. And God's blessings are there, and not just in this life, but into eternity. So that wraps up what Jesus said, or wraps up where we're going to talk about it today. But I want to spend the next little bit talking about how does this apply to our lives today. And as I said, I wrestled with this. I told several people, you know, I, 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 I like preaching through God's word. I like taking a whole book or whatever. I, I do topical preaching sometimes. That's good. I like to take God's word and take it section by section by section. We did that with Matthew 10 years ago. We're doing it with Luke now. It's going to take a little while. The bad part of that is you get to a passage you don't want to preach about. It's like, I've got to preach about it anyway. There really isn't any passage I don't want to preach about other than the fact you get to a passage like this and say, how in the world does this apply to me? How can I communicate this in a way that people won't fall asleep? And they'll say, oh, yeah, God's speaking to me. So I prayed extra hard along those lines about this message, and I believe God gave me some things for us to meditate on today. And it goes back to the title of the message. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? First thought here is, what are you looking for when you come to God's Word? What are you looking for when you come to God's Word? That's basically what Jesus was asking the people of that day. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? The correct answer, a prophet. The most important message ever preached by a prophet. I was looking for a word from God. I was looking for a message from God. And we're in the same situation. We don't have some guy like John the Baptist out there that we got to go into the wilderness to try to hear. But we have the word of God. You know, that's another benefit that we have over the people of the Old Testament. Way early in the Old Testament, they didn't have nothing. Then later on, they had bits and pieces, you know, as Moses wrote the first five books. And then a little bit later on, you know, David wrote the Psalms and Solomon wrote some stuff and they had the the, the, the prophets, but you know, most people couldn't read it anyway, so even if they had a copy, they couldn't do it. They couldn't read it. It had to be read to them and proclaimed to them. You get to Jesus, they've got the Old Testament, but they don't have the New. Now we've got the Word of God. Every single one of us can have a copy, or two copies, or three copies, or ten copies, or fifteen copies, whatever we want. It's on our phone, it's on our tablets, it's on our computer. We can read it, we can listen to it, we can watch videos. We have such access to God's Word. And we need to take advantage of it. But the question is, what are you looking for when you come to God's Word? She said, what were you looking for when you went to see John? What were you expecting? What were you wanting in your life? For us, I'd say, what are you looking for when you come to God's Word? When you come to a service like this this morning, or you watch online... When you come to a Bible study, when you participate in a Sunday school class on the phone taught by Brother Lynn. When you're part of the women's group or the men's group, wherever they take a look at God's Word, you're part of some other group or class. One of the most important times is when you study it and read it for yourself. What are you looking for when you come to God's Word? And I couldn't help but take some of the other things he said about John. And kind of apply that to this thought. What are you looking for when you come to God? Are you just looking for something that's interesting? 
Ah, uh, you know, I find the Bible interesting. So, now that's a good way to start. And I hope you do find the Bible interesting. Some is more interesting than others because of understandability. But, you know, but it's got to go beyond the interesting thing. Some people went to see John probably because I heard the rumors. I heard the stories. I, this is way, this is way more interesting than everyday life. I'm going to take some time to go check him out. Something interesting. But it's really sad, sad when it stays that way. You know, one of God's prophets, uh, that, he used in the Old Testament is Ezekiel. I encourage you to read this later. Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 33. Ezekiel was one of God's prophets that God used to speak and nobody would listen to him. Well, I shouldn't say nobody would listen to him. Nobody took seriously what he had to say. But there was at least a period of time when lots of people would show up to hear him speak. And God kind of pops his bubble. That's what you're going to read if you read Ezekiel 33, 30 to 33. He says, you know, people come to hear you speak he says, I gotta be, I'm paraphrasing what God says here. I gotta be honest with you. They're just coming to listen to you because they think it's interesting. Oh, that's like a, that's like a fancy love song or something. He says, but they have no intention of doing anything about it. They have no intention of applying it to their lives. They have no intention of responding to it. They just come because you talk in a way that's interesting. Well, I certainly hope that we don't have a lot of people like that. It's fine. It's fine to approach God's word in any format because it's interesting. God uses that to draw us. But may we not stop there. So what are you looking for when you come to God's word? Just something interesting? You're looking for something to make you feel good about yourself. Now, is that a bad thing? No. God's word has great promises and words of encouragement and support to help us, especially as we're going through the most difficult times of our life. God's word is very clear that if we don't feel so good about ourselves, that's okay because God does. God loves each and every one of us as a unique individual made in his image and has a plan for us that's so much better than the plan for ourselves. But it is easy to fall into a trap of only wanting to come with God's word and only wanting to hear what makes me happy. Only wanting to make me hear what makes me feel good. If it doesn't make me feel good, I'm going to kind of shut my ears. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear a preacher that's going to talk about stuff that doesn't make me feel good. So it's okay to want God's word to make you feel good because God's word has a lot in it to make us feel good. But let's not stop there. What are you looking for when you come to God's word? Something to make you feel good about yourself? Are you looking for something to reinforce your desires for success and wealth and health? Been a lot of preachers through the years that that's all they talk about. Come to God's word. Claim those promises. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God wants all his parent, kids to be prosperous, healthy, 100% in this life. Just claim the right promises. Stand in faith. And there's a lot of truth in there, but there's a lot of wrong focus and ignoring of some other truths that go along with that. But are we coming to God's Word just to get things that can support our desire for success and wealth, prosperity, to be number one? Are we... Coming to God, when you, what are you looking for when you come to God's word? Are we looking for something that will give biblical support for cultural standards? I had to throw that one in because unfortunately that is a drift that certain preachers, whatever in our society are just following along with. They're changing what they're preaching and teaching because our cultural standards have changed 
And rather than be offensive and really tell the truth of what God says about our sexuality, about our, our commitment to him, about all these other things, they have instead taken God's word and changed it or explained it away or excused it. They, they don't stand for the truth. They're just, they, they, they want to find what will support cultural standards and such so that more people will come and be part and feel good. Some of these overlap, so they feel good about themselves. Do you come to God's word just to find something to give biblical support for cultural standards or, or, or those things that you're living by. And the next one's kind of like, do you come to God's word to find something to encourage you without convicting you or challenging you in your lifestyle? I think it's kind of sad that there are other preachers I, I, I'm, I'm, I've heard. I don't spend a lot of time listening to a lot of other preachers, but that'll preach all the... Po- they're not heretics. They don't preach things contrary to God's word, but all they do is preach the positive. They never deal with the fact that there's sin in the world and there's sin in us. And it's got to be dealt with. It's just positive, positive, positive. You know, and these kids, well, just deal with the positive. God will deal with the negative. God does deal with the negative in his word and he does it through the preaching of his word. We can't just come to God, God's word only looking for the positive and that's what makes me feel good and it doesn't convict me and it doesn't challenge me or my lifestyle. Can I tell you, if this is your church home and you come here on a regular basis on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whatever and you sit under my ministry, I'm just going to use me as an example, and you don't ever leave, don't ever leave feeling like what I said, trying to base it on God's word, didn't step on your toes or challenge you or convict you in some way. Not that that has to happen every time, but if that never happens, I'm doing something wrong. Either that or your mind's so closed you don't hear that part. Okay? And that can be true too. Because God's word is balanced and we've got to get it all out there. But we've got to be willing to come to it, ready to hear it and respond to it and apply it. So, when you come to God's word, what are you looking for? And here's what we should be. The truth. The truth. Whatever it is, whatever it means... When I say whatever it means to me, I don't mean that I can determine what it means. What I mean is when we understand what God's word said and it means something to me because I got to change something or I got to do this, or then, then we accept that. We don't try to change it or justify it or explain it away. We come to the truth and we accept it as truth. Sometimes, many times, a lot of times, that's encouraging. And I hope that whenever we gather together that there's more encouraging that's discouraging. But we're not going to eliminate the discouraging and the convicting because that's part of the truth. And when you come to God's word, what are you looking for? The Bible is full, especially in the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament, they were false prophets. The New Testament talks about how even in the church of Jesus Christ, there will be false teachers. And one of the phrases that probably most of us have heard that they will teach what our itching ears want to hear. They're only going to emphasize what we want to hear. But you know what? They have an audience because that's what the people want. So we're not dealing so much with them today as we are dealing with ourselves. Is that the way I am? I only want to listen to what my itching ears want to hear. Or am I willing to accept the truth, whether it's encouraging or it's discouraging, or whether it's positive faith building, or it's i got to be convicted because i got something in my life that's not right. There's an area I'm not lining up to God's word and God's plan for me. 
Can I tell you that if we don't, we're guilty of what the religious leaders did when they rejected God's purpose for themselves. All I can explain to you, or I can, all I can tell you about myself as the pastor of this church, and this has been my passion and my desire all my life, and that is I want to understand God's Word. And not just what it means, but how it applies to my life. And then I want to be used by God because I believe that's what God's called me to do, to express that in teaching or preaching or conversations in such a way that the people underneath my ministry can understand God's word and what it means and how it should apply to their lives. That's my passion. I encourage you as you pray for me, you pray that I stick true to that. I am not having temptations to walk away from, but, but that God will make it very clear how I can best do that. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to refrain from speaking about a certain thing because it's not culturally acceptable, because it's not the way things are going in the church world right now or whatever. It's not politically correct or whatever. You know, we don't talk about politics as far as endorsing candidates or parties or anything like that. That's deliberate and we're not going to do that. But we need to be able to take a stand on issues. And I believe we have. We need to continue to do that. All right, I got to go on. Second way of applying this is what is your attitude when you come to God's word? Jesus talked about that and this illustration about John, you know, that some accepted and they repented and they experienced God's blessing and then others just totally rejected it. It's so sad. It was the Bible scholars who rejected John, rejected Jesus. They totally missed it, even though they had more information than the rest of the people. But what is your attitude? And it was because of their attitude. What is your attitude when you come to God's word? Now, that can be impacted by what, what, you, what you're looking for. If you're only looking for what makes you happy, if you hear something that doesn't make you happy, your attitude is like, I don't want it. Be critical of it. But let me just talk about a po- couple possible different attitudes we should have going into it, going into our approach to God's Word. We can do what I just mentioned, have a critical spirit. Look for things to dispute. Look for things to reject. We can try to be open, but it's kind of conditional. It's like, Okay, I want to hear God's word. I want to read God's word. I want to study God's word. You know, and if I like it, that's good. If not, I'll put it on the back burner and we'll see what happens. But that stuff that I agree with, that's good. You know, and that's something we all wrestle with. Even those of us that really love Jesus and love God's word and want to please him, there are certain topics that are harder for us than it is for others, isn't it? For some, it's money. For some, it's marriage. For some, it's parenting. For some of sexuality, whatever it might be, there are certain areas, and it's usually areas we're wrestling with, isn't it? There's a story. I encourage you to read this also. I didn't put it in the notes, so it won't be on the screen, but this is a really interesting story. If you want to read it later, read Jeremiah chapters 42 and 43. I'll just tell you the story real quick. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was another one that God said, you're going to preach my message, you're going to, but Everybody's going to reject it. Nobody's going to pay attention. Nobody's going to do anything about it. In fact, you're, and Jeremiah was persecuted. He was almost killed. He was thrown into a, a, a cistern and up to his chest in muck and stuff. He was going to die except somebody had pity on him and pulled him out. I mean, he was put in stocks because of his message because he was saying, you know, God's people had been so rebellious and the Babylonians were coming to conquer him and all these false prophets were saying, don't worry about it. God's going to deliver us. And God says, no, I'm not because you rejected me too many times and right now it's time for a timeout. You're going to be taken into captivity. And Jeremiah just told it like it was. Well, that all happened. He was proven right. The Babylonians carried a bunch of people into captivity, but they left Jeremiah behind. And he's still speaking God's message to the people that were left behind. But the people that left behind did some things that didn't 
that really weren't good things to do and they thought the Babylonians would be mad at them so they said maybe we should leave here and go to Egypt and they said you know what we got to find out what God wants so they go to Jeremiah because they knew he'd been proven true and so they go to Jeremiah and say Jeremiah would you please pray and hear from God what do we need to do should we stay here or should we go to Egypt now you pray about it you come back and tell us exactly what God says to do and we will do we swear we will do what you tell us that God says to do so Jeremiah says, okay. So he goes and he prays about it. And for 10 days, he's praying. And God finally gives him the answer. And, and his answer is basically, don't go to Egypt. You stay here. Babylon's not going to punish you for what happened. You put roots down here. I'm going to take care of you. Jeremiah gave, that's a very positive message. Jeremiah gave that message to the people and said, oh, you haven't heard from God. We're going to Egypt. And they forced Jeremiah to go with them. And they were punished there. You see, even though they said, you know, we want to hear what God has to say. We're going to do exactly what God wants. Inside, they were saying, as long as we agree with it, we can fall in that same trap. Don't let that be your attitude. That's kind of being open, but conditionally, if the conditions are right. And then you've got other people that are fully open. And this sounds really good. I'm just going to accept anything that comes my way from God's word. And now, on the face of it, that's good, that's true. But that doesn't mean that you should accept anything that comes your way through somebody who says they're talking about God's word. Because there's false teachers. You see, we don't need to be so open. Somebody said, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. You know, sometimes people are that way. You're so open-minded, they'll let anything in. So, I mean, have that open spirit, but don't be that. What we need is a balance. This is one of my favorite passages that has to do with dealing with God's word, and it's Acts 17, 11. Paul's traveling around preaching God's word, and he goes to this little town called Berea. And he's preaching the gospel there, and they respond in a certain way. And he's writing about it, and this is what he says. This is what Luke says about it, okay, because Luke is the one that's writing the book of Acts. He says, now these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica, which is where Paul had just been. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, that's the proper balance. Eagerness to learn, eagerness to hear what God has to say, no matter what it is, how it impacts my life. But I'm going to compare it with Scripture. Make sure it's right. I shared earlier my heart, my thought, my passion as a pastor in delivering God's Word. And I've told you guys so many times, if you ever hear me say something from God's Word, you say, I don't think he's got that right. You come talk to me. Because one of two things is true. Either I do have it right and I haven't explained it well enough, you don't understand it, and I need to do that, and I will do so lovingly. Or I got it wrong, and if I got it wrong, I want to know. I want to know, because I want to get it right. Last thought. How will you respond to what you find in God's Word? Can I tell you that this is probably the, this is, this is the most important one. Because you can, you know, you can be looking for the right thing. And you can have the right attitude about it and bring it in. But if you don't do anything about it, it's worthless. James talks about that. Jesus talks about it. Don't just be merely, uh, James, don't just be merely listeners of the word, but do what it says. Jesus said, if you listen to me, but you don't do anything about it, you're like a guy that built a house on sand, the storm came and fell down. We need to apply it. We need to live it out. You say, yeah, I love listening to God's word. I listen to this preacher. I listen to that preacher. I watch this YouTube video. I watch Right Now Media. I do this. I go to church, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just open. I'm taking it all in. But if you never live it out, it's all worthless. We see this 
and the people of John's day, some accepted it. They repented of their sins. They began to follow John and they began to follow Jesus and others rejected it. The acceptance of the truth leads to salvation. And once we are saved and we have a relationship with God, we still got to continue that because it's that acceptance of the truth and we put it, put it into practice that causes us to grow as people, to grow in maturity, to grow in our relationship with God. I like what Paul says about God's Word in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man, and that includes women too, man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says God's word is good for the positive, that encouragement, that challenge, whatever, and for the bad, for the correction, and for the training, and so that we can become mature and grow close to God. But that means that we don't just come saying, I want to hear it, and I have a good attitude, but I'm going to do something about it. But if we reject it, If we reject the basic gospel message, we have no salvation. We won't spend eternity with God. We can read our Bibles backwards and forwards, read them through once a year, every year. We can go to church. We can we can take all kinds of stuff in. But if we don't accept the gospel message and respond to what Jesus did on the cross for our salvations, salvation, we can have the Bible memorized. We'll still spend eternity apart from God. But for most of us, perhaps today, we're we're believers, we're followers of Jesus. We love the Lord. If there's any part of God's word that we're rejecting, we're going to miss God's blessing in that part of our life. And there may be consequences that'll do just the opposite, not just missing the blessing, but bring negativity, bring negative things that come into our lives. And that's true of every area of our lives. So we don't want to reject Again, I I keep going back to what it said about those Pharisees and those ones who studied the law, the lawyers, the Bible scholars. It says they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Don't reject the purpose of God for yourself. Foundationally in salvation that God loves you and he wants you to be saved from your sins, but you've got to put your trust in Jesus. But even beyond that, don't reject God's purpose for yourself in your finances in your marriage, in the way you parent, in the way you are an employee and you do your work, in the way you reach out to other people in love, in your sexuality, every significant area of life, don't reject God's purpose for yourself. So what are you looking for? What are you looking for? I just challenge you to look for the truth to be open to it, to learn from it, and to respond to it. Now, I'll be honest, that's the type of message is more of a teaching than a preaching. That's not one of those that you can say, okay, come on down to the altar and confess and do this, that, and it's all going to be made right. This is something we got to live out every single day. But I do want to call you today to making a new, perhaps, commitment to say, God, I want your truth. I want all of your truth. Even if it's something I wrestle with, even if it's something that I don't agree with, even if it's something I've tried to excuse or explain away, I want to know your truth and I want to live your truth. And if that's the way you feel, would you stand with me today? Say, I want to know God's truth. I want to live God's truth. I want, I want to, to live it out in my life. Amen. Can we all stand together now? 
Worship team's going to come. They're going to lead us in a song as we often do at the end of our service. And I want us to take the time as we do to pray for people that have needs. So I'm going to invite our elders to come, Pastor Jan to come. And as they sing, as they lead us, you can sing along. I challenge you to continue to meditate on what God's spoken to us today. To make whatever commitment you need to make to the applying of this message in your life. If there's a certain thing in your life that it's like, you know what, I've been doing exactly what he's saying. I've always, always said I'm open to God's truth and I read his word and all that kind of stuff. But there's a certain area I've been ignoring it. I've been rejecting it or whatever. And today God is calling you and say, that is an area that right now that's the most important area because that's the area you've been ignoring me. That's the area you've been rejecting me. I challenge you to get it right with God. Get it right with God. If you're here today and you don't even have a relationship with God, come. We would love to pray with you about that and help you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's take a couple moments to do that. And after we've done doing that, either myself or my wife will come back to close the service in prayer. You are here. Moving. That is who you are. Amen, Lord. We thank you. That you're the way maker. That you're the promise keeper. You keep all of your promises, Lord God. Hallelujah. You're the healer. You're the deliverer. And God, we thank you that your word is through, full of so many promises, so many encouragements, so many things that can strengthen us and help us with whatever we face. And that we can know you're going to keep your promises, Lord God. We don't always understand how you go about doing it and why you wait so long sometimes and and, and the purposes you have in in delaying or whatever. But Lord, we're going to trust you. We look to you for that. God, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. Help us to respond the right way. God, wherever your spirit may be dealing with our conscience, wherever your word is poking and prodding us, help us not to dismiss it. Help us not to excuse it. Help us not to push it away, but say, God, please help me to line up with your word. Help me to line my life up with your word, not try to line your word up with my life. I thank you, Lord, that as we do that, you... You bless us. You empower us. You help us. Father, I pray specifically for people today that may be wrestling with some significant things, Lord God. God, help them make the right choices and depend on you for the results. God, I pray for anybody that may be here or watching or listening later or whatever that does not know you, that they would come to you, surrender their life to you, accept Jesus as their Savior, put their trust in him repent of their sins and believe in what your word says about how you provide salvation through that i thank you for it and god i pray as we leave this place today we we go out into our world that we will be messengers of your word not to beat people over the head with it but to be willing in love and intact and is led by your holy spirit to say the positive promising encouraging things but also to gently know about the difficult things so they can be warned so they can respond and show us how to do that and when to do that maybe tell people about jesus so they can come to know him too and father i thank you and praise you for all those things god go with us guide us lead us and help us with what we're going to face this week those things we know about and those things we don't and we ask it in jesus name And everybody said, Amen.
Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 